Hey everybody, welcome to Sunday night here at Hope For Our Times. And uh, excite, we have an exciting night. We're gonna be talking about the coming Roman Empire. And some of you are thinking, oh wait a minute, that happened 2,000 years ago. And uh, what do you mean the coming Roman Empire? Well, as you know, you've been with us. We've, uh, we're in Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream of Daniel chapter 2. And in that, uh, with, when we look at this, let me read it to you. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He threatens to eliminate all of his wise men, all of the soothsayers, all of the astrologers, all of his magicians if they can't give him his dream that he had plus the interpretation. That's impossible. How can you tell a man what dream he had? Well, that's what Nebuchadnezzar required because he knew that anybody, Nebuchadnezzar could tell everybody, hey, here's what I dreamed, what does it mean? And his magicians could make up anything they wanted. So he didn't want that. He wanted to know what the truth was. So Daniel comes along, Daniel buys a little bit of time. They pray, they seek the Lord. And in Daniel chapter two, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, hey, it's not me who's given you your dream and your interpretation. There is a God in heaven who gives this. And what Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar was the vision of the empires from the time of Nebuchadnezzar right up into the day that is rapidly approaching this coming Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire, the kingdom of Antichrist. And then even when Jesus comes back, and I have my guest here with us, Bill Salas, but I'm gonna read this passage, Bill, and, uh, and then we're gonna talk about it because a lot of people are saying, hey, the revived Roman Empire that's coming, the kingdom of Antichrist, it comes out of the Muslim world, the Islamic world. Some say, Bill, as you know, the Antichrist is gonna be Jewish. Um, others say, well, Antichrist is gonna rise out of uh, uh, the Western world um, as we look at this statue. So we're gonna go into that. In fact, we're gonna talk about a lot of things. The Ten Kings, Revelation chapter 17, uh, had um, Andy Woods on, Dr. Andy Woods, a couple weeks ago. We were talking about Revelation chapter 17. We're going to see a different side of that with Bill in our conversation today. And, of course, we're going to take your questions. I know there's a lot in here, but Bill's going to explain it. I'm going to read this just to update everybody. Daniel chapter 2, let's begin in verse 31. And Daniel said this to Nebuchadnezzar. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff uh, from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And they said, this is the dream. Uh, now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. And then Daniel goes on from there and he says, here's the interpretation. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold as far as the chest of silver, uh, that was the Medo-Persian Empire. Then you have bronze. Remember when we were going through it, each one of the metals became harder in metal, but less in value. So Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, right? Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire uh, with the arms, the silver, and then you have the bronze uh, belly and thighs, which was the Greek Empire. And then you come to the legs of iron, and this is interesting, I'm gonna pick up from there. You have the two legs of iron. The, so you have the right leg and the left leg. And he says this, the fourth kingdom in uh, verse 40, shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom shall break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Bill, I have uh, 
Uh, Scott Townsend's going to be on here in a few weeks, and we're going to be talking about this, looking at technology. You know, what does this mean? Uh, the seed, the the, the uh, mingle with the seed of men, but they won't adhere to one another. Interesting conversation. You might even have thoughts on that tonight. I have a quote from Chuck Missler that's kind of intriguing. Uh, well, we'll go there too. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Two more verses. Verse 44, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Last verse, and then we're going to start breaking everything down. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known that the king, uh, to the king, what will come to pass after this? The dream is certain, its interpretation is true. It's gonna happen. We already know the history, it's happened, and God says it's true. Everything will unfold exactly as God says it will. So Bill, there is a lot to unpack here. Uh, we have people viewing on YouTube, we have people viewing on the app. Uh, let's, let's roll. Well, it's interesting because Nebuchadnezzar is having dreams in this point in his life, and he's pondering as he's laying on his bed, what does the future hold? And God gives him the times of the Gentiles. He unpacks the, gives him the whole image you just went through, the, the precious metals and that sort of thing. A parallel passage, Daniel gets having a dream and vision in Daniel 7. When you put these two together, you get the, the better look at the times of the Gentiles. One of the interesting things, though, before we get into the times of the Gentiles and break it down, is the 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 great stone, the great mountain, the stone cut without human hands, right? And then sets up a kingdom. Well, a, a great mountain can represent a kingdom. We're talking about the stone cut without hands. That's a tried stone. First Peter two, four through eight. The precious cornerstone. Matthew twenty one. We're talking about Jesus Christ. It also shows up in Isaiah eight fourteen and elsewhere. So. Basically, before we get into the times of the Gentiles, we need to recognize that at the end of the times of the Gentiles, Jesus Christ returns in the second coming, and he ends all of the times of the Gentiles, and he sets up his millennial kingdom. But getting into the actual times of the Gentiles, when you merge the two together, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, you get these different stages. You have, of course, you said the Babylonian Empire. Now, at the time of Nebuchadnezzar's vision and dream, there was a present going on, but all the other things Daniel was interpreting were yet future to them on the point of the timeline. But for us now, we've, we've got a, the advantage of looking backward in time. There's still some future events for us to forthcome, that are forthcoming, but we can look back and see, well, a lot of these things have already happened. The Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persian Empire as you went through, the Hellenistic, the Greek Empire, which had two stages, and these come out in the, the two chapters, Daniel 2 and Daniel 12. He breaks it down to be a united stage. Then there was a four-division stage when you had Alexander, when he died, he had his four generals took over the Hellenistic Empire and that sort of thing. Then they were conquered by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire has got five different stages. We pick up a couple of these from Daniel 2 and the other ones from Daniel 7. It's going to be united. The Roman Empire was united. Both Daniel and, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's information came out on that. Then there's a two-division stage. You read about it, the legs split. Okay, and that happened. We'll go through some dates here in just a moment. That happened, the east-west split of the Roman Empire. But then, and that's where we're at right now. We're still in that split stage. Okay, so we're still in that split stage. And this is what I think, it's really intriguing to people because there's so many people that email me and say, hey, the, it's this Muslim Roman Empire. Joel Richardson has done these messages on it. You know Joel. Mm -hmm. You actually did a, a debate with him. Mm -hmm. But you're saying we're still in this place even though the western leg of the Roman Empire ceased to exist in the sense of it being the powerhouse back, um, what, what year was that about? Well, the, uh, I'll tell you what, so in 82-84, Emperor Diocletian restored efficient government to the Roman Empire, and he divided the empire into the two legs. And then in AD 312, Emperor Constantine relocated the capital of the empire to Constantinople and Turkey, uh, it was Theodosius who made Christianity the sole religion of the empire uh, and subsequently assumed preeminence over the West in the late 15th century. It says that the Western leg began to disintegrate, but the Eastern leg is commonly dubbed the Byzantine Empire and it endured until 1453 when it was finally overrun by the Muslims. But I think it's important to recognize that 
when you see the two legs, the Dan and Dan Nebuchadnezzar's dream, they're not shifting weight, they're not shifting balance. I know the political and economic aspect went toward Constantinople, but it went from pagan Rome in Rome to papal Rome. Okay. okay. Now that's still going on. Okay, so, you know? okay, all right, that's, okay, so just reiterate, um, I looked, Constantinople is now Istanbul, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. And then, so the pagan Rome went to papal Rome, which some would say that's still pagal, pagan Rome, but you have the Vatican there. Right. So okay. the, 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 you've got both the legs still intact. When you, when you read Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, it's a sort of a mystery. You wouldn't know when it comes back. The next stage is going to be the one world order. That's where this, the two legs will give way to the one world order. From the one world order, you can have the ten division state with the ten kings come out, and they will, and then you have the Antichrist stage. They will give their power to the Antichrist, and that's the mid part to the end of the tribulation. But the well, kind of the mystery, Tom, that you wouldn't have picked up from Daniel two or seven, is that when the one world order comes, it's going to have its political and commercial aspects with it. We know that in Revelation eighteen, but it's also going to have its ecclesiastical aspects of it too. Okay. So I would say I'm not saying that's necessarily the mystery of Revelation seventeen. I'd like to actually share what I think the mystery is in just a moment. Okay. But. It, there's there's a mystery mystery comma Babylon the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth Revelation 17:5 we'll get into that but a few dates I'm gonna put this up on the screen I think we can do this with your team sure uh, uh, basically you a slide them, you tell them and they'll do it okay let's try to go with uh, the current slide here okay uh, the Babylon Empire was from 612 to 539 BC. It was a God, one of the things we need to recognize is that God uses kings for his purposes, even though they could be pagan kings. In fact, that's when Daniel was interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, 2.20, he says, in 2.21, he says, It's the Lord who changes times and seasons, who removes and raises up kings, who gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to those who have understanding. And he was just about to lay out all the different empires and the kings that would be changing in succession. But the fact is he was using all those kings for purposes of his, and especially with the Jewish people. He even calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant three times, Jeremiah 25, 9, 27, 6, and 43, 10. So he was to discipline the Jews, and the Jews went into 70 years of captivity. That empire lasted until 539 BC. Then the Medo-Persian Empire came in in 539 to 331 BC, and he calls Cyrus my shepherd, Isaiah 44, 28. So he's using Cyrus to restore the Jews back into the land. Then you have in 331 to 168 BC, you have the Greek or the Hellenistic Empire that took over the Persian Empire. And that was when the Jews revolted with the Maccabean Revolt. And then, of course, that was conquered by the Roman Empire, 168 BC, and they lasted until 476 AD. Of course, they had the split we just briefly talked about in that thing. And of course, they were used to judge Israel. Uh, also, they were used for the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus Christ to die for our sins. So all those things had their purposes in the times of the Gentiles. The next thing that's going to happen is the ten division state. Once you get the, glow, the Roman Empire coming back into a one world order, and then the Antichrist stage that we talked about. So I think it's important to, to understand the time frames of that, but we're not there at the, the one world order yet. That's coming really quickly. We're at the two division state. Now the mystery I think that's, that's important to talk about here, I'm going to show this slide as well. I know there's different opinions on this, uh, you said that Andy Wood had an opinion that will be entirely sure. different than mine right now. It, it will be different than yours, but I, I do want to ask you this before we even go there, because people, I mean, this people are talking about this. I believe we are watching the birth of this beast system, and the ten kingdoms that we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. It's coming. I believe it's coming soon. Um, I'm not as sure right now of exactly what it is as I was, say, even two years ago. But I can tell you, it's happening, and you can. we're watching the globalism. We're watching this, this building. I mean, you hear about them talking about, hey, we need rulers over the different parts of the globe to make this whole system work. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating. It's coming, and it's coming fast. So I'm looking forward to what we're going to be going launching from Daniel chapter 2, to Revelation chapter 17, because right. you, you, it's like you can't do one chapter without doing the other, mm -hmm. I believe, right. uh, to really get an understanding on it. So I'm looking forward to, to what you have 
have to say. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah, so the, the one, where we're headed now, and you can see it's already the signs are converging, the digital economy, the cryptocurrencies, the blockchain technologies, the, you know, all the things, the global reset, you know, those shortages of things that have us indicate, hey, we're going toward a one world order. And that was that other stage we talked about. We're going, that's where we're going. And then comes the 10 division stage. The mystery that I was talking about with Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 is that, not a mystery that there'll be a global order, one world order, but that it would actually have a ecclesi ecclesiastical aspect within it. And so in Revelation 17, 1, John sees this harlot sitting on a scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns. And he's marveling as we go through the chapter in Revelation 17, verse 6. He sees this, this woman who was sitting on many waters, uh, she's drunk with the blood of the saints mm -hmm. and the martyrs of Jesus. So he's looking into the future and he sees this harlot, which by the way, a harlot would represent idolatry. So it's, uh, to me, it's a counterfeit religion, ecclesiastical Babylon. And he's seeing it and she's going to be at blood on her hands. And of course, you look at the inquisitions from the 1200 to the Protestant Reformation in the 1600s. There was a lot of blood hands on the Catholic Church per se with the inquisitions. And then it says she's also going to be drunk with the martyrs of Jesus. So that would be, to me, in the, in the gap period and the tribulation when the harlot is flourishing. The gap would be post-rapture. Fifth seal saints. Fifth seal saints yeah. probably in there, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. There's actually three different uh, killing crusades. There's the fifth seal saints, their fellow servants. This is all in Revelation chapter 6. And the brethren of the fellow servants. We actually get into that on our DVD we got here, Tom, the pre-tribulation prophecies. But the mystery, that's going to, I'm going to show a slide. So John's marveling. He goes, wow, I see you're drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. And he goes, the angel says to him in Revelation 17, 7, said to me, but why did you marvel? I will actually tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And he goes and talks about the seven heads and the ten horns. But I want to shift our attention to the ecclesiastical okay. aspect real quickly. You going to pull the slide up? I've got the slide up okay. right now. Okay. So... Um, I will tell you the mystery. Now, remember the Greek word, it says mystery, comma, Babylon. So, and the Greek word is mysterion. And normally the mysterion word in, in the New Testament is something that was concealed in the Old Testament that's going to be revealed in the New Testament. So Paul talks about the mystery in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, listen, everyone, flesh and blood can't inherit heaven. You know, you've got to be changed. And he says, good news. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, Revelation 1, the seven candlesticks, the mystery was, well, those are the seven churches. So the angel's going to give us revelation on what the mystery is, and we're going to turn our attention to the aspect of the, the woman who sits on the scarlet beast. So we find out there's three clues he gives us as to what it is to define the mystery of mystery Babylon. Revelation 17:9, and we're given a geographic location. He says, the woman sits on seven hills, which at the time, was Rome, the seven hills, the eternal city that sits on seven hills during John's time. Uh, that would be Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, Revelation 17, 5, she was sitting on many watches, so she's got a global reach. These are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So it's a religion centered on, in Rome at this point that has a global reach. It's a world religion. Revelation 17, the Antichrist is in cahoots with it. She's sitting on these scar scarlet beasts. Revelation 17, 18 concludes it and nips it in the bud to me what the mystery was with the woman. It's a great city. It says that reigns over the kings of the earth. Now here's what it says. And the woman whom you saw, John, John sees her in the beginning of Revelation 17, sitting on the scarlet beast, is in his present tense. So past tense, you saw her. She is in your present tense. The great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And in John's estimation, that would be Rome. So the other thing too... Um, there was a time, it shows up in 1 Peter 5.13, where at the time of the persecution, Babylon was a code word for Rome. And it says here in 1 Peter 5.13, She who is in Babylon, Rome, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. And most of us would interpret that. He's actually talking about a code word for Rome. So from my estimation, I believe that the ecclesiastical Babylon of Revelation 17 is the Vatican City. It's centered in Rome. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that's where political... I, I do think Rome might actually still be where Revelation 18 goes, but it's a commercial Babylon at that point. After the, the Ten Kings will desolate the harlot in Revelation 17, 16. They will turn all their power and authority and all of her wealth and all of their wealth over to the Antichrist, who will then start into the second half of the Tribulation with his commercial 
And I believe we go into Revelation 18 for that. Matter of fact, I'll do one quote with John Wolverd. I'm going to show this slide. If we can get the slide up. Uh, John Wolverd says, The book of Revelation was written in the order in which the truth was revealed to John, but the events described are not necessarily in chronological order. This is especially true of Revelation 17, which probably occurred during the first half of the last seven years, the first half of the tribulation. Actually, the destruction of chapter 17 and the destruction of chapter 18 are two separate events by three and one half years. So the way I look at it is you've got to look, not chronological, you've got a Revelation 17, you've got ecclesiastical Babylon, mm-hmm. the Antichrist is in cahoots with her, uh, an unholy alliance. She gets desolated by the ten kings, Revelation 17, 16. Then you go to Revelation 13. Now, that's where the Antichrist shows up uh, and he gets his commercial system going with the false prophet. No one can buy or sell unless they take a mark in the right hand of their forehead, Revelation chapter 13. And then I think you've got commercial Babylon. You've got to start turning your attention to Revelation 18, which is a different destruction. Matter of fact, one last slide here by John Phillips. He says, in my view, it's best to see them as intertwined. Talking about Revelation 17. And uh, he says, yet somewhat distinct. Religious Babylon of Revelation 17 is judged at the midpoint of the seven-year period of tribulation. Commercial Babylon of Revelation 18 is judged at the end of that period. So you get the desolation by the ten kings, but then you also have the one-hour judgment in Revelation 18 that shows up three times as a one-hour judgment. Babylon is is gone to remember no more. ceases to be a city. So that is the way I have interpreted Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18. Um, and when I look at chapter 18, it's, it, to me it's very clear. It's talking about a physical location. It's this commercial Babylon. Uh, you list the products that people buy and sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go into this final destruction. I believe chapter 18 is at the end of the tribulation period. Um, that upsets a lot of people because there's a lot of people right now that say chapter 18 of the book of Revelation is America, America's Babylon. Now, this is interesting, Bill. I have people email at me every day uh, that tell me in Revelation chapter 18, since it's obviously speaking about America, it's going to happen before the tribulation. America's going to be destroyed. I say, I say this is, to me, it's interesting because I would agree with America is going to be eliminated as this great superpower before the tribulation begins. We would both agree on that, yeah. As we're, we're staring at the abyss, America is. We're imploding from the rot that has happened here in our own society. We can see what's going on with the Biden administration. I'm reading today that DeSantis says, hey, uh, kids are not going to be allowed at the Gay Pride Festival. So they canceled the Gay Pride Festival. That proves that it really is about the kids, you know, this, mm-hmm. this whole transgender movement. Mm-hmm. It really is about it. I mean, you look at how... How, where we are in our, in our society. And then, so I believe America's down before the tribulation, but Babylon of Revelation 18 is destroyed at the end of the tribulation period. To me, it's very clear how that works out. America does, is eliminated, but in, in, the, in probably the not too distant future. I think that the fifth bowl judgment says that the throne of the beast is struck and darkness comes over the throne of the beast. And I think the fifth bowl judgment shuts down his commercial system. And I think it's a thick darkness. I think it's a, like a three-day darkness that they could feel in the time of the Exodus when the darkness plague hit over Egypt. It'll lift again. And when it lifts again, the uh, system can get up and running again. But I think the texts are going to go at that time. We've got to get rid of the divine hacker because he can shut it down again. And that's the sixth bowl judgment. You have the three demonic frogs who... Yeah do signs and wonders and get all the kings to come together for Armageddon. And you have the seventh bowl judgment, you know, it's a great earthquake, uh, mountains topple, islands flee, cities are destroyed, 100 pound hailstones are pummeling on the soldiers, but also they don't even, they're all in at this point. They got the mark of the beast. They're heading toward Armageddon for the final conflict. They're going to do battle against God. They don't know if they got homes to go back to. You know, the earthquakes, the I mean, it's incredible we're getting ahead of ourselves to the end there. But one thing I would say when it comes to America, first of all, this DVD, can you hold it up real quick, Tom? Yes. We did a prophetic documentary called The Pre-Tribulation Prophecies, and we get into the possibility on this that America could be the young lions of Tarshish in Ezekiel 38. We get into the biblical, archaeological, geographical, geopolitical uh, aspects of why that's a possibility. And, And if we are there, 
then the point being is that we, we're not a superpower. We're barking from the sidelines going to Russia. What are you doing? You're coming after the plunder and the, and the booty. And the merchants of Tarshish is a theme. This, I believe the Tarshish could be the UK. I show the evidences of that. And they have mer commercial contracts. It's not the athletes, it's not the politicians, it's not the, it's, a, it's the merchants. And they're going, what are you doing in Russia? You're coming after this plunder and the booty. But well, I'm gonna show two slides real quick about why I think this, we can rule out America as well. Um, we have this come up in the blood of two or more of the Holy Apostles, in my estimation, have to be have been shed somewhere to be part of this uh, this city. So it says in Revelation 19:2, "For true and righteous are his judgments; for he hath judged the great whore who did corrupt the earth with fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants on her hands." And he goes on to say, "Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, apostles plural." For God has avenged her, avenged you on her. So to me, it suggests two or more of the holy apostles have had to have been killed, shed blood in this city, and rejoice over her. And here's, here's the facts that it was in America, and the apostles lived in America. But look at this. Rome was responsible for the deaths of Paul, Peter, Andrew, and James. The apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome. The apostle Peter was crucified under the Roman emperor Nero. Also, there's historical evidence the apostle Andrew was crucified by the order of a Roman governor, and the Apostle James, the brother of the Apostle John, was killed by a client king in Rome. So I think that tells us that, you know, the apostles are rejoicing who had had their blood shed there because that, that has been judged and remembered by God to judge them. So I, I also kind of use that as a proof text, like, I don't think it could have been America. There was no, nor Mecca, which is the, it was the debate I got him with Joel Richardson on this DVD, he thinks Mecca is the city of the harlot world religion. So this is a great DVD called uh, Mystery Babylon, Mecca or Rome. Joe Richardson and I had done a de debate on that. Three-hour debate in Gettysburg. Really outstanding debate. We, I took the side of Rome, as I've been doing in this program. He took the side of Mecca. And, uh, and just going back and forth on it, I know Joel Richardson has become quite popular, so uh, his theory has become quite popular, too. Um, with this, I, there's this question on here. I'm curious, they're asking me what I think, um, but I'll ask you what you think. Annette Hamilton said, uh, I think the world system is mystery Babylon because Roman Catholicism created our current world system. The Catholic Church is the woman who writes the beast. What do you think? God bless you and yours. Um, interesting, you know, uh, Dave Hunt was very... Um, uh, uh, bent on his belief when you look at the woman who writes the beast in the Catholic Church and um, I think he even called it something like that uh, but he his whole work was on that but it, but she's saying the world system I'm guessing she's meaning the system of commerce but again I make a distinction between chapter 17 and 18 uh, Andy Woods doesn't make a distinction between those two I do and people are telling me how smart Andy Woods is on here, and, and he is smart. Andy's, Andy's smart. He's going to be with me in Texas at our conference there. Um, and he's, Andy's a good friend. And as I mentioned when Andy was on here, Bill's also a good friend of mine too. <laughs> yeah, Andy's a good guy. Um, first of all, when it come, I'm going to show a slide. When it comes to who connects Rome with the harlot world religion, the church fathers, Lactantinius, Tertullian, Irenaeus, and Jerome, Reformers Martin Luther, John Knox, John Calvin, John Tyndale, John Wycliffe. Contemporaries today would be Billy Crone, J. Vernon McGee, Dwight Pentecost, Clarence Larkin, Grant Jeffrey, Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey, Charles Riley. You see the list up there, Warren Winsby, Dave Hunt, Mike Jenner, Ned Henson, Chuck Missler, David Reagan, Chuck Smith. I mean, these guys connected, and I think Chuck Smith still did. I'm not sure how he concluded before he passed away. But these guys all think that Rome connects with the harlot. My estimation is they are distinctly different. You've got ecclesiastical Babylon, but when the harlot is emerging as out of Rome, in my estimation, that's the case, the tithing is, is going to be pouring in. Right? They're going to get, gain more wealth. They're very wealthy as it is right now. Revelation 17, 16 says that the ten kings are going to desolate the harlot, burn her with fire. They're going to strip her of her wealth. They're going to confiscate her wealth. i got a quote from Hal Lindsey, time permitting, that's incredible. It talks about how that could happen. You don't have to take out the Vatican City. You can take out some the Pope, some cardinals and bishops, some cathedrals, and you can cripple and topple the organization. They can give all the wealth that they've got because they give all their power and authority to the beast, 
and the wealth they get from the confiscating and stripping it from the, in my estimation, the Vatican. And now he's ready to roll in his system now with the, the mark of the beast. He's got control of the whole cashless economy at that point. You know, you bring up a very good point just about the, the money that's going to be pouring in. I also thought it was interesting. You said tithing to that kingdom. People will, they will, I mean, we think of a tithe to, uh, in our service to the Lord as a Christian. And the devil's going to make sure people will be tithing. They're going to be giving, sending him allegiance because they're going to want to. They're going to be so excited mm -hmm. about that new kingdom that's coming along with tax dollars. People are, we can already see what the UN is doing and World Economic Forum is proposing with this type of thing. And I get, you know, people all the time will say, well, it's going to be impossible for a city like Babylon to still be built. Mm -hmm. Like Andy Woods, I believe it's going to be in the area of Babylon. And I understand the arguments against that, uh, but I, I believe it will be built there. And the money's going to be there. The money, I mean, we look at the money that is being created right now, printed out of thin air. Listen, these people are going to be able to build it. Uh, they're going to be able to uh, make this incredible kingdom, whether it, not be, whether it be Neom, as some people say, or, or something in the Vatican, if that's the case, or whatever it is. The money's not going to be a factor. Mm -hmm. I concur. You know, it's interesting. Helen Z has a quote. I'm going to read it because I think I kind of subscribe to this about the city of Revelation 17 and the city of Revelation 18. Is it rebuilt Babylon? That's a popular choice with a lot of people. I don't subscribe to that one. And I'll tell you, I like what he says. Who's the beast? It's the Antichrist. All this talking about his throne. In other words, the place where he rules from, it will be on his throne and his kingdom. We know it will be Rome. And it will be revived Roman Empire. So this judgment of the Antichrist and the revived Roman Empire, which has exercised tremendous influence. But he goes on to say in his book, There's a New World Coming. The question of paramount interest at this point is where will this great commercial Babylon be located? Is it some non-existing city which will be catapulted into world prominence? Or will the ancient city of Babylon on the plains of Shinar be rebuilt? There are many reputable Bible scholars who firmly believe that this Babylon is going to be the actual rebuilt city. If Babylon is actually to be rebuilt, what would be the purpose and function of the city? Would it be the giant economic giant that we see in Revelation chapter 18? He goes, I don't think so. And here's where I find it interesting. It's hard to imagine how, and how any city located in the hostile Arab world could rise to such world prominence and all the kings of the earth free to go in and out and conduct their business. Now, I believe Babylon will be rebuilt, but not to be the commercial and economic center of the world. I believe this is the city of Rome. It's inconceivable to me that the Antichrist could be most, the most popular ruler in the world, controlling a kingdom which surpasses all previous empires in power and wealth, and which is made up of people out of the Roman culture, without having his capital city, the great economic center described in this chapter. And how could that Rome not be the capital of the revived Roman Empire? So, so he, he's, and I think he's right. I mean, it's like, why would it not be Rome? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he just stay in Rome? That was the capital of the Roman Empire. It would sort of say this tongue in cheek. It'd sort of be the, the middle finger to God. Like I took over the one true church. I killed the Vatican. We destroyed him. I'm taking over everything right now. I'm the new king, etc. Which gets us into: Is he really an antichrist? That could come up too in, in the next part of the conversation. Well, let's go there here. Is, just he, is a he a Muslim? Yeah. Let's go to: Is he Muslim? And then I want to ask you about the ten kings. I want to get your thoughts on it, and then I want to get the questions too. Um, uh, but. With that, I, I want to point out the obvious. Obviously, there's different opinions on mm -hmm. what Babylon is. As I mentioned, many people are saying it's America. I don't believe that. Um, yes, I would agree with my friends and colleagues that tell me America is going to be eliminated. Totally agree with that. But I don't believe Babylon is America for reasons I have biblically uh, regarding Jerusalem and Babylon in the Bible. That's where I agree with Andy Woods. I believe it's going to be over in that area. But I will admit I could be wrong on that. I, I totally get there's other opinions. Uh, Hal Lindsey, um, what you read is it, it makes sense too. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because something doesn't necessarily make sense, you know, how are they going to rebuild Babylon over in this Islamic world, uh, bring the commerce there, or w whatever it is? And we already have the Vatican and Rome. I I wouldn't use that for the reason to. Um, for a reason of interpretation for me. Uh, I, what I would use as a reason of interpretation for me is this is what the Bible says about Jerusalem, this is what the Bible says about Babylon. I know the war, 
that God had with Babylon uh, from the Tower of Babel right on up to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 2, uh, and the things that the Bible says about Babylon. So on the other hand, Bill, I'll admit this too. I, one of my favorite archaeologists to watch is Joel Kramer, and he did, a, he did this great um, uh, video on Babylon, and he showed how it was utterly destroyed the way that the Bible describes in Jeremiah was chapter 50 and 51, it, it fits it where it's not coming back. And I watched his, his presentation on it, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm wrong. The beauty of this is somebody's going to be right, probably, and I may be wrong, I may be right, but ultimately we know what the end game is, and we know there's going to be ten kings, we know there's going to be an antichrist, and we know Jesus is coming again, which is the ultimate fulfillment of the dream of Daniel chapter 2. The Great Mountain, right? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, uh, Antichrist, Joel, this, this is uh, this video here with Joel Richardson. Right. Uh, you have this debate you did with him. Mm -hmm. And people, listen, if, if you want to know, uh, right leg or left leg, Eastern or Western Roman Empire, I think it would be great. I don't have that here. We don't have it in our bookstore. We don't even have a bookstore, but you can get it. You can get that through Bill's website, and right. Lisa has it in here. Lisa D. doesn't. It's also in the YouTube description. But walk us through this. Well, his and my debate was dealing mainly with ecclesiastical Babylon. Okay. Was it the city of Rome, or could it be the other candidates, which were Jerusalem, uh, Babylon, America? And he said Mecca. That's what he was believing, that Islam would be centered uh, okay. in Mecca. So I would invite you, your viewers, to get that. It was an incredible debate. A lot of research on both his and my part, so it went really well. Right. But dealing with the Antichrist, is he going to be a Muslim? Which is really more of what Joel and Wally Shubat was taking off on. Yes. And so that's the question that starts to come up as you get into the eastern and western leg, when the two legs split in, Dan in the image, mm -hmm. precious metals. And a lot of people, myself included, would think, well, it's going to be, he's going to be coming out of the western part of the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, but then some would say it was going to be the eastern part. I've got an interesting, a few quotes. David Reagan had done a show 11 years ago on his Christ and Prophecy show. He interviewed 11 scholars on this very topic. He had Hitchcock, Don Perkins, uh, Ed Hinson, and several other, Nathan Jones, and things like that. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, here's what, his, what he said. Isaiah 28, verses 14 through 22. Now, we've talked about that. We've got that on our DVD. That's where the covenant is made with yeah. the scornful rulers of Jerusalem, a covenant that made Daniel 9.26, more details, 9.27 rather, the false covenant. Mm -hmm. And he says, when Israel signs a covenant with the Antichrist, they sign it because the Antichrist guarantees Israel's military security, and Israel will not trust any Muslim to guarantee its military security. So he uses that as one argument to check that off. Nathan Jones had a good one, and I agree with this one, as did David Reagan. I don't think Islam is going to even be a religion during the tribulation. I wouldn't, it may be a religion, but I don't think it's going to be at the level it is. But he says, I don't think it's going to be a religion. Between Psalm 83 knocking out the nations around Israel and Ezekiel 38 knocking out the Islamic nations and Russia, Islam won't even be a player during the tribulation. Also, he says, the worship of the Mahdi is a problem because in Islam, you must worship Allah alone, which gets into a very interesting thing I'll conclude with. Let's go there for a second because one of the things that comes up in, in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, the Antichrist will stand up in the temple and exalt himself above all that is called God and is, and is worshipped. So he sits as God in the Jewish temple of God at the abomination of desolation, showing himself that he is God. Actually, the word is an active verb, showing he's actually doing something, proving to the world, have the cameras on him, that he is God. But no Muslim can get away with saying, I'm above all that's called God. The other one too in Daniel 11:37, he shall neither regard the God of his fathers, which would be Abraham and Ishmael, right? They, they split, it's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the Muslims, nor the God beloved by women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. So see, the, the argument would be, how can a Muslim do that? Allah is one, and Muhammad is his prophet. There'd be a fatwa, and he would be assassinated. So that's a, an argument that came up quite a bit and in that show, Damon Duck got into the Assyrian Antichrist. He had an interesting thing to say about that, because that's what some think about. He's going to be coming from Assyria, as per Micah 5, verses 5 through 6. And Damon Duck says, 
Some people say he's going to be the Assyrian in Micah 5, 5 through 6. I really don't think that that's the Antichrist. The Assyrian is going to be destroyed by a small number of Jews, seven shepherd and eight principal men in the land of Assyria. That's not the way the Antichrist is going to come to his end. He's going to be captured when Jesus comes back at his second coming. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire. But so we know when Jesus comes, he's going to come, touch down in Edom, Isaiah 63, mighty to save. He's going to do the battle against the Armageddonites. I, I call them the Armageddonites, the Antichrist and his arm, <laughs> armies, Armageddonites. Um, and that's where he comes down. And then he casts, in Revelation 19, he casts the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. He does not march over to Syria. In fact, I'm going to show a slide real quick here that uh, on Micah 5 and 6 with a different translation that I think is important to look at. It says here, he will give us peace. Micah, this is the net version. He will give us peace should the, should the Assyrians try to invade our land and attempt to set foot in our fortresses. We will send against them seven shepherd rulers and make, make that eight commanders. They will rule the land of Assyria with the sword the land of Nimrod and a, with a drawn sword, our king will rescue us from the Assyrians, should they come after us, okay? That's a different translation. Not the Assyrian, which is what Micah 5, 6, some translations say, but Assyria or the Assyrians. The NAB version, if Assyria invades our country, NRSV, if the Assyrians come into our land, if, if, if. No, so in other words, that's not a conclusive thing, and that's not how Jesus, he doesn't go back and push, push them back into Assyria. He takes care of them right there in Edom. Uh, I find it really interesting and you have all kinds of people saying all kinds of things on the chat right now. Um, I, I'm going to throw this one out to you, Bill, because uh, this person asked this and, and I find it intriguing and I'm curious as to your answer. Uh, this was from, let me see, uh, where did she go? Phantom777 on YouTube said, I believe Rome will be one foot and Constantine will be the other foot or capital. What I find, the reason, I just find it an interesting question because the feet are symbolic of the ten kingdoms coming. The feet with the toes. So, yeah, both feet still there. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, I just think it's interesting. I'm thinking all-encompassing the world is really what this is representing right. because it's attached to the ten toes, but just an interesting question. No, I agree. I, I don't think it's just ten kings in the you know, revived Europe, Europe, European Union. We stuttered that one out, European Union. I think it's a 10-division state like the Club I, of Rome in 1968. Yeah. You've got you to allocate certain territories. The world's going to be in shambles. Judgments, God's judgments are coming down. The 10 kings emerge in the first half of the tribulation, but after they, they, got, they get upset with a harlot, they desolate her at the request of the Antichrist. There's 10 kings, but Daniel goes on and tells us in Daniel 7, it starts with 10 kings. Ten divisions, but the Antichrist has to subdue three of them. Some reason they come out against him after they've been in camp with him, in, in collusion with him. But ultimately, it turns down there's seven, and he becomes the eighth. Daniel says that's the Antichrist stage of of uh, the final stages. Right, Revelation comes out the seventh. He is the eighth. Okay, now with 17. this, yeah. Now I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the ten kings also, um, and. So I want to say this first. So Lori Saunders commented on the app, and she said, I love Bible prophecy, but I just want to live for Christ. Amen, Lori, because I think of the words from 2 Peter chapter 3 where Peter says, therefore, since all these things will be, uh, talking about the new heaven and the new earth, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? And hopefully with the discussion of Bible prophecy, and obviously Bill just brought up how many different, 15 different people that Reagan brought together? 11, yeah. 11 different people. So you have differing views on things that don't matter for your salvation, but, as, but the Bible still gives us enough information. And we're told that uh, in the Old Testament, listen, God gets to uh, conceal it, but kings get to search it out. Right. And so that's with the study of parables, mm -hmm. uh, as Jesus spoke in parables. It's for his children to know. When you look at Bible prophecy, we should be looking at these things and reading Daniel writes in Daniel chapter 12, the understanding is going to come to those who are living in those days. But it's going to be progressive. We're going to continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding. Uh, but ultimately, hopefully, these things will inspire us to study more and to be more mission-minded also, live for Christ and share Christ with others. So I thought that was a great comment, Lori, a great comment, yeah. uh, just reminding us 
of what we're supposed to be doing and what Bible prophecy really is about. And it is Bible prophecy. Mm-hmm. You know, some things in this, this sphere of influence tend to be more science fiction, but we prefer to stick to the Bible and Bible prophecy so we can see um, this is the direction things are gonna go. We know how it's gonna conclude, and we know there's 10 kings that are coming. So a couple of questions on the 10 kings. In Revelation chapter 17, the 10 kings, they give their power and authority to the beast and they eliminate the harlot. Right. They do both of those things. Right. So, but we also know from Daniel chapter seven, three of the kings are going to be eliminated too. Mm -hmm. So if, I agree with you to me when I look at Revelation 17, it appears to me the 10 kings eliminate the harlot at the midpoint of the tribulation period. Right. They've got what they needed. What I believe what they've needed is submission of the world through, I mean, look, one of the greatest ways to get people to submit is through religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get them to agree, people go for it. And religion is a problem for the globalists because you have Islam, which you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Christianity, which is a huge problem for the globalists because mm-hmm. You believe in the Bible, you're not gonna go along with these things. Right. The Bible speaks against them. So we have these dynamics. Religion is a problem, gotta be united. But this harlot is going to be eliminated by the 10 kings. I look, I've thought of it as being at the midpoint of the tribulation I too. I agree, I concur. Okay, so the 10 king system you see as regional, the world divided up into 10 regions? I do. <laughs> okay. And I think we don't know why all of a sudden three of the kings turn against the Antichrist. So he goes in, when he gets his claim to fame with the false prophet, he goes into Jerusalem, he kills the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, something that no one was able to do. They lie dead in the streets for three and a half days before they resurrect and ascend to heaven. So he's on this Jerusalem tour, he goes over there, he kills them, goes into the temple, sets up the abomination of desolation, desecrates the temple, some people think the abomination of desolation is actually the image of the beast. He's in there showing himself to be God, somehow proving himself. The, the two witnesses rise, go up to the go up to uh, heaven. I think at some point when he's saying, "I'm I'm God," I exalt myself above all that's called God. We just read those verses. I think three of the kings go, "Listen, I was with you when we got rid of the harlot. I got no problem giving you all my wealth from our region, but you want me to worship you as God?" Now I'm speculating here, folks. I'm speculating. I think three of them say, well, that's, that's beyond the pale. For some reason, three of them rebel and he has to subdue three of them. Why is that? They were all in cahoots together. They were all happy. They were all together. With, he gave them authority in one hour, we're told, in Revelation 17, 12. They decided we should all get together and desolate and strip the harlot of her wealth. Why do all of a sudden three of them turn, right? And that's just for fun to think about. But like you said, Tom, um, this is not salvation matters. This is of interest that we should be, you know, we're concerned about to study. I, I always quote what Jonathan Kahn said one time. He said, listen, when you put two Jews in a room, you get three different opinions on a matter. You put two prophecy guys in a room, you get five different views sometimes. Right? <laughs> but God knows how it's going to come down, and knowing the end from the beginning. And unless some of those five views are supporting one another, all five or four of them are going to be wrong. Or one view is going to be correct, and that's the one God knows about. So we're doing the best we can looking through a glass dimly into the future, trying to interpret the best we can what we think the future holds. Yeah, and we do have the Bible to guide us. Mm -hmm. I I was up in Lake uh, Stevens, Washington yesterday, and I said one of the things when it comes to Bible prophecy is, is, is understanding we don't know yet all the details. When Daniel was told by the angel, seal up the book, uh, it's not for you to understand, Daniel, but for those who are at the time of the end. During the tribulation period, this book, the Bible, is going to be much more clear to people who are coming to Christ, people that you share your faith with right now that are going to come to Christ during the tribulation period. They're rejecting you now. Listen, keep praying for them. Keep witnessing. Mm-hmm. There are people that are going to come to Christ that you're going to see in heaven that you're thinking, man, we're raptured. I'm never going to see him again. They're going to come to Christ during the tribulation period. And they're going to have the Bible that you leave for them. Leave them a Bible. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I think technology, as we know, it's going to be gone. Leave them the written word. Um, and things are going to become more clear in this sense. And this is what I said in Lake Stevens uh, on Saturday, was when Jesus came the first time, 
the, you have prophecies that about the Messiah, he'd be born in Bethlehem, mm -hmm. uh, he would be called out of Egypt, and he'd be from the Galilee region. Those are just a few of them. It would have been impossible for anybody be, to be able to know ahead of time that Caesar Augustus was going to issue a decree that was going to cause this young teenage couple from Nazareth to relocate to have their baby at the perfect time because of a census mm -hmm. in Bethlehem. Nobody could guess that. And then to add to it, before Jesus is two years old, Herod's going to come looking to kill all the two-year-old boys. So Joseph is warned in a dream, hey, flee to Egypt. So Joseph flees to Egypt, and then Joseph is told, hey, you can go back home again. So he leaves Egypt, he gets to Jerusalem, and he's told in another vision, hey, you can't stay here, you got to go back up to the Galilee region. How, I mean, nobody could have figured out all of those details. It would have been an impossibility. Right. Yet the Bible was 100% true. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, called out of Egypt, and from the Galilee region. And you could go on and on like that with the prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ. So we have all these prophecies regarding the second coming of Christ. We can see there's going to be a 10-region kingdom. We know that there's going to be this revived Roman Empire. Uh, we know three of the kings are going to be eliminated by Antichrist. We know this beast is going to come. We know there's going to be a false prophet. We know there's going to be a beast system where no one can buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast. And we start putting these things together and we're able to go, hey, we can see things taking shape right now that cause us to have these conversations and go, okay, more, there'll be more clarity in the time to come, which I'm hoping we're raptured soon, but it will become more and more clear. But I find it so fascinating. So we have the Bible to guide us mm -hmm. and it's understanding God's word will be fulfilled exactly as God says it will. Right, and we're probably, one of the things we put on the DVD of our Pre-Tribulation Prophecies documentary, we're probably going to see, if, if we're still here, if the rapture doesn't happen in, you know, beforehand, we're going to see Damascus get destroyed probably in Isaiah 17. Uh, we're going to see, you know, some people might even see Ezekiel 38. I, I lean towards Psalm 83. I know there's some people who don't, don't agree with me on that. Uh, there's other prophecies, Jordan, Amon Jordan, Jeremiah 49, verse 2. There'll be an alarm of war in Rabbah of the Ammonites, it shall be a desolate mound, and Israel will take possession of its inheritance. What's interesting is, speaking of Jordan, we were talking about this before we went on, on the air. Uh, there's a news headline that just came out today that talks about parliamentary sources. A Jordanian MP, a parliament member, detained in Israel after smuggling weapons. They caught this guy with bringing over about a dozen AK-47s, I think they were, or AK-15s, 200 weapons. $6, billion, $6 million worth of gold. This is wow. on the news today. This is on the news today. This is a member of parliament. Member of parliament, parliament, 100 kilos of gold, 12 machine guns, 270 wow. medium and small. You know, uh, Jordan has a fragile peace treaty with Israel, but I just quoted Jeremiah 49.2. There'll, there'll be a war involving them as well. Uh, it, it, it is fascinating to watch things that are coming together. Uh, we'll be in Israel in like two and a half weeks. Looking forward to a tour group's going to go over and meet us, and, and I'm, I'm very excited about going and uh, being on the ground and being able to. We're going to do some uh, live streams from there too, which will be uh, pretty neat. But ultimately, Israel is Jerusalem's the bullseye. Mm -hmm. And it, so we're looking at this. There's all this talk about Israel and Jerusalem in the Bible, it's in the news now. Jerusalem has become a cup of trembling, and it's mm -hmm. going to increase, by the way, this this cup of trembling, nobody knows what to do with it, yet God is keeping Jerusalem still safe, and, and Jerusalem is never going to cease to exist. Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem, and he's going to rule and reign. Well, the, the, just if I can chime Please. in, the cup of trembling is in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 2, excuse me, Zechariah verse, chapter 12, chapter verse 2, yes. and it says, Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling when the people's round about attempt to lay siege on Judah and Jerusalem. Talking about the surrounding Arab countries around them. Zechariah 12, 6 says, in that day, when the Jerusalem's a cup of trembling, uh, I will make uh, a fire pan in the wood pile. I'll make the captains of Judah, the IDF, be the battlefield will be like a fire pan in the wood pile. The captains of Judah will be like a fiery torch, and the peoples round about will be like sheaves. They shall kindle and devour them. There'll be no more people round about but Jerusalem will stay in its place. 
on the right hand, on the left hand, it talks about, so it gives us a directional location. He's not talking about the world at large. He's talking about the Arab countries that surround Israel that are going to make a final bid to lay siege on Judah and Jerusalem. Let's hope that doesn't happen while you're there in two weeks. I'm not worried about it. I, I do not. Uh, I, I don't. I, you know what? I have discovered, Bill, that Israel is the safest place I know. Um, the worst part about going to Israel is the drive from here to Los Angeles Airport. That is by far the most unsafe place. <laughs> um, uh, I've, yeah, it's just wonderful being in Israel. Yeah. Um, Lee Brainerd was just there, a friend there this week. Several friends are going to be there at the same time that we're there. Uh, really looking forward to it. Um, so, okay, I've got a lot of questions on here that are coming in. Um, the, someone on here asked, they says, Richard Browder commented, uh, I think there will be about a year gap. That's what uh, we talk about in this one, isn't it? Uh, oh, the gap. The, the, gap uh, the gap, what takes place during the gap. Right. So you can get this DVD that, that Bill and I did, um, documentary, you can get through uh, Bill's website. Okay, uh, Brandon Holthouse, Richard says, thinks there will be about three-year gap. I get asked a lot of often, how long is that gap going to be? I don't know how long it's going to be, but like you, I do believe there's going to be a gap. I believe the rapture takes place. I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Um, uh, the, the rapture takes place. There's going to be some kind of gap period. And then these things are going to begin to unfold. Antichrist is going to establish his kingdom. I also think, Bill, one of the reasons why we don't see certain things developing yet is because we're still here. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt. When you look at what's happening in the world with the transgender movement and uh, just some of the really insane things that are going on, the Christian is a restrainer. Mm -hmm. We are a problem. We look and go, wait a minute, you can't do this. I interviewed a gentleman today at our church this morning, and uh, he, was, he lost his job because he refused to, because he's a believer, believes the Bible is true, he refused to give, uh, allow um, girls use the boys' locker room. He's PE teacher, and boys use the girl locker room. He said, I can't do that. So the Christian is the restrainer. Mm -hmm. So I believe that, man, this rapture happens, things are going to get wild. If people think they're wild now, they ain't seen nothing yet. Right. Well, we don't know the length of time of what I call the post-rapture because it's after the rapture pre-tribulation because it's a gap before the tribulation. We don't know the length of time. It's an unspecified period of time. But certain things have to happen that brings Israel to the negotiating table to be signing on board with the false covenant because that's what starts the tribulation, yeah. the confirmation of the false covenant in Daniel 9, 27, and in Isaiah 28, verses 15 through 18. There has to be an overflowing scourge that's taking place. Israel's got to be trying to avoid that. They're going to trust the Antichrist to protect their security over that. Uh, what is that? How long does it take for that to happen? Who's perpetrating it? They make an agreement with death and Sheol, says in Isaiah 20 15. Are they perhaps the fourth horseman, death and Hades? Hades is a Greek word for Sheol, the Hebrew word. So there's a lot of questions we don't know, but something's going to be happening on the world scene to even draw Israel to the negotiating table. And however long that takes is how long that gap's going to be. Yeah. Well, again, I want to go back to Isaiah 28. I believe, that, like you do, it. Andy Woods does also. Isaiah chapter 28 is this antichrist uh, covenant that's tied into Daniel chapter 9. And, you know, most people don't go there. They don't go to Isaiah chapter right. 28. Right. And you look at it and just read what verses start in verse 15 or verse 11 as you read from there. 14 talks about the scornful rulers of okay. Jerusalem who make this covenant. And then 15 talks about you make a covenant with death, you're in agreement with Sheol. When the overflowing scourge comes, it won't come upon you. You make your covenant in lies and falsehood. It's politically expedient for them. They're trying to avoid this overflowing scourge that's apparently being perpetrated by death and Sheol. You know, so we have to say, well, who are they? Yeah. What's the scourge? And I get into yeah. that. We get into that a little bit we on do. the DVD. Uh, we do get into that in that DVD also. What is that scourge? And we, you know, we try to figure it out, but God says all that covenant's going to be annulled, which is Daniel chapter 9. Yeah, you Isaiah know, 20, you, 18 and Daniel 9, 27 yeah, talks about it being annulled. It's hard not to see the parallels between those two passages. I encourage you guys to uh, check those out. Um, I have a, a, another question. Well, wait, I also believe that, um, Isaiah chapter 17, the destruction of Damascus, 
is coming. So let me ask you this. When you look at Zechariah chapter 12, oh my gosh, we've already gone an hour. I didn't realize we, I haven't even gotten hardly any questions. I'll go another yet. hour. No, I didn't even, I just looked at the clock. So sorry about that, everybody. So, so in Zechariah chapter 12, as long as you're here, I'll ask you this. Uh, you have the surrounding peoples that are laying siege on Jerusalem. So you would equate that's likely Psalm 83? I think so. At that timing? I think okay. so, yeah. Okay, and just so you, you guys know, because people say this to me all the time, when I was with Andy Woods, uh, somebody was commenting, you only agree with Pastor Bill now that Andy Woods here saying this. No, listen, I've said, Bill and I have had the conversation on Psalm 83. I'm not necessarily sold out on Psalm 83 yet, but I like what Andy Woods says in that half hour of silence in heaven, a lot of us are gonna be that's readjusting funny, yeah. our prophecy charts. I heard that, that's funny. <laughs> and, uh, and so, it, and I, I find it very intriguing. You know, you have, you have some very interesting points about Psalm 83. Why is it that Ezekiel 38 is these nations that are all outside of the Psalm I'm 83 circle? Yeah. I think you even have like a, a diagram that maps shows on that. that. Yeah, so very interesting. Oh, let's say one last comment. Some people I will talk about at the end of Psalm 83, Israel expands some, into some territory like they did in 1967 after the Six-Day War. And like Joshua did 3,300 3, years ago, and King David did 3,000 years ago. But I want to be clear, because some people think I'm advocating that they're going to get all the promised land. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm saying they're going to get incremental increases in size, defense, increases the defensibility of their borders. They've got a pattern of doing that historically, and that's what happens when you win wars, you can expand territorially. But I don't think they can get all that land until Jesus Christ comes in the millennium. I want to be clear on that. Some people think I'm advocating okay. little. I did. I thought that you were advocating they would get all the oh, land. I've talked to you for 15 years about this. So you just straightened me out. Good. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Um, I'm going to do some bullet point things since we have gone an hour. These okay. will be super fast. Yeah. How, this is from uh, John Geis. Have you read Antichrist in a Cup of Tea? Hey, John, good to hear from you. John emails me. John believes America is uh, Babylon. Okay. So. He straightens me out every day. Thank you, John. <laughs> but uh, have you read Antichrist in a Cup of Tea? I've not read that. Okay, that's, uh, I did several years ago, first round. It's with Prince Charles, now to be King Charles, okay. and Tim Cohen. Does an interesting job of pointing out uh, 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 King Charles being Antichrist. I don't agree with it for various reasons, but I'm not going to get into that. Well, I know the identity of Jesus Christ. I don't know the identity of the Antichrist. He, a, amen. Right here. Thank you, Bill. Um, will the rapture, Lynette, will the rapture be able to see the tribulation events? Don't know if I want to, just wondering. I think there is something, because in, in Revelation chapter uh, 6, the fifth seal saints seem to be looking down on the earth and saying, hey, how much longer are you going to, before you, you avenge our blood on right. those who are on the earth? Yeah. So something's taking place. It doesn't re mean we're going to remember everything forever because we know there comes a time when we don't remember the former things. Mm -hmm. But that fifth seal saint seems to imply there's something we can see. And the question also is, they're asking how much longer. In other words, they're sort of lost in the gap on the, in my estimation, they're in the gap, and they don't know how much longer the gap's gonna last. Because if they saw the confirmation of the false covenant, they would be able to calendar, there's a seven year period. They would not need to ask the Lord, how much longer until you're gonna avenge our blood? Uh, great question. Uh, let's see what we got going here. I've, I've got, um, I'm going to try and catch up with this. I, I, I've never kept anybody on this long before. Okay, real talk right now. Hey, Tom, was the dragon cast out of heaven before the fall of man, or will it be future during the tribulation? The Old Testament makes reference to, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What do you, what do you think? No, he still has the ability to go back and forth from heaven and earth right now. In the mid part of the tribulation, there'll be a war in heaven where he gets between Michael, the archangel, and Satan. He will be cast out of heaven once and for all. Then he will come down here for the last three and a half years with his fallen angels with him. Then he will be, uh, for the millennium, he'll be bound by a chain in the abyss for a thousand years. Then he'll be released and he'll try to do one final war, the second Gog and Magog invasion. In the aftermath period after the millennium, God will stop that. Then he'll be cast into the lake of fire where the Antichrist and the false prophet will have been during the millennium. They get cast in the lake of fire 
throughout the whole millennium. Yeah, I, w I would also say this, when you look at Job, Job obviously, uh, the conversation Satan had with God, Satan is walking around the earth. Satan was cast out of heaven to the earth, but he's always had access to heaven. We know that from Revelation chapter mm -hmm. 12, he goes before the throne accusing the brethren day and night, and then Revelation chapter 12, he's cast down because he knows he has little time. So mm -hmm. we see these different dynamics. You have a going back and forth with Satan. Right. We don't see that with the demons, uh, but we do see it with Satan, so it's intriguing. Also seems like Satan seems to think he has little time right now already, but in Revelation chapter 12, which I believe is likely the midpoint of the tribulation period, is when everything really gets stepped up. Okay, Mr. Ron Rondamon, he says this, Tom needs to be wary and respectful of his guest time. I agree, Mr. Ron and Drum, Ron Damon. <laughs> so I, I, I just lost track of time. So thank you, Bill. Thank um, you, everybody, for joining us. And um, I'm looking forward to both tomorrow will be live on the app. And uh, look forward to you guys joining me tomorrow and live on Tuesday. I have a lot going on. Looking forward to in a few weeks being in Israel with many of you guys. Listen, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be totally safe. We're going to have a good time. We'll do some videos together too. So, okay, see you guys tomorrow. Thank you, Bill, for Thanks, joining Tom. me. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.